This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Thursday the 25th of February. And so, Norman, the vaccine rollout's happening. The government indicated earlier this week that in the rollout there were going to be mistakes made, and we saw one happen yesterday. We saw an 88-year-old man and a 94-year-old woman in Brisbane. They were given the incorrect dose of the Pfizer vaccine, and it, they're not sure. It's all under investigation at the moment. They may have been given up to four times the amount of vaccine. So can you overdose on a vaccine? Is it is it a safety problem? And what have health authorities done right and wrong in this situation? Well, the first thing I want to do is give a huge shout out on this to both uh, the Commonwealth and Queensland Health, because this is the textbook way. So if you are feeling, a Corona Council listener, unsettled or you know, about this in terms of the rollout of the vaccine, I, on the other hand, find this reassuring, hugely reassuring, because what happened here was, let's just go through it. There was a mistake made. The nurse noticed it and called it out. And the authorities have not hidden it. They've been transparent about it. And there's going to be an investigation and we'll learn from it. That's exactly the way safety and quality should work in healthcare. Mistakes will occur all the time. This just not happen more than once. It's unfortunate for the people who experience them. But human error is inevitable. But the way to deal with it is that Anybody who sees a mistake should be able to call it out. So, for example, if you're a junior doctor or a scrub nurse in theatre and you see a senior surgeon making a mistake, you call them out on it and you are transparent about it. You don't hide it. And so nothing has been hidden here. So this gives me huge confidence that the system is going to be safe and protect against human error. So I'm, I'm reassured by it. Second thing is, what about the man and the woman who were immunized? Is this a risk for them? There have been trials of the Pfizer vaccine where they have tried out higher doses. And my understanding is that those higher doses were safe, did not produce side effects. And I think what has happened probably over the course of the trial is to preserve the vaccine, they've tried to find the lowest dose that's most effective. And that'll be the dose that's being administered now. In theory, you could possibly get an overreaction in the immune system. That's possible, particularly with these mRNA vaccines. But the fact that these people are elderly, they've got reduced immunity in the first place, and it's unlikely you're going to get that problem. So you can have problems with too much vaccine, but hopefully they will be fine. So the people who it happened to are probably going to be fine. Um, You say that the transparency that has been shown is a really good thing. Are there other checks and balances that should be in place to stop this from happening again? Or is this just par for the course? A mistake is never par for the course, but human error does occur. And there'll be other errors as well. And, you know, vaccine might be left out too long and have to be thrown out. The way that we call in people may be inefficient and we've got too many no-shows for the vaccine and therefore vaccines being wasted. There's going to be fine-tuning all along. The thing about being transparent is that this mistake will be then transmitted to everybody doing the immunization and people say, don't do this, do this, uh, and there'll be a warning out in the system. So this human error should not reoccur. 
Well, while we're talking about vaccine safety, we've got a special guest with us today because as the Pfizer vaccine has continued to arrive in Australia, it's being rolled out to frontline workers and people in high-risk groups like these um, people that we heard about yesterday. There's still some questions about how this Pfizer shot's going to be distributed and the efficacy of the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is what most Australians are going to receive anyway. And so before this Queensland news came to light, we had the opportunity to interview John Skerritt, who's the head of the Therapeutic Goods Administration. John, thank you so much for making time to talk to us today. Always a pleasure. So John, we've got 20 million doses of Pfizer coming to Australia. When we spoke to the, well, when Norman spoke to the head of Pfizer a few weeks ago, there wasn't a lot of clarity about exactly how they were going to flow. Do we have more information about that now? We do. But of course, as uh, listeners may know, there's tremendous demand for both the Pfizer and AstraZeneca vaccines globally. And we've actually had to negotiate shipping times and and, uh, batches to come out one by one from, from Europe. Having said that, earlier this week, uh, we had the second shipment of uh, 166,000 doses of a Pfizer vaccine arrive in Australia, and we're expecting 120,000 next week. The aim is in the first few weeks to roll out 80,000 doses a week, but that's going to ramp up soon after. At the moment, of course, we're starting at all the vaccination sites, but we haven't reached full velocity yet because we're still testing the systems at those sites. But there haven't been... uh, too many serious hiccups yet. The government's pretty comfortable with how it's going. So, John, one of the things I've been curious about, you know, the, the priority list is absolutely right that you want to get hotel quarantine workers, border workers, because they're the most at risk personally, but also in the hope that you prevent transmission and you create a bit of a barrier between incoming uh, Australians and the general community. Why aren't we immunising the household members of people who are working in hotel quarantine because they're the next people most at risk. So in theory, if you're really creating a ring of confidence, you should be immunising the household contacts of the border workers as a very high priority. Well, the priority for uh, determining which of particular groups will be vaccinated was determined both by Atagi and AHCCC. So it wasn't a uh, a determination by a regulator. To explain that, that's a group of state and territory chief, the second group, AHPPC, is a, state, a group of state and territory chief health officers, and ATAGI is the government's advisory group on uh, immunisation practice. And so, for example, of the 80,000 this week, 50,000 do go out to the states. The states have the power to work out who they consider are frontline and the vaccination strategy. And so, that decision is really in the hands of the states. The Commonwealth uh, is retaining the doses that are used for aged care and overseeing the uh, vaccination programs in aged care and uh, then disability care. So the question you've asked is really one for the states, but clearly the first priority is to go for the frontline workers. And uh, as we've seen, some of them have already been vaccinated. And how are we going with the Novavax vaccine in terms of its approval? So we've been meeting with them fairly regularly. The clinical trials are still underway. There were some encouraging results released about, oh, it would be now two weeks ago, but they were interim results. They weren't the final phase three results. And so I'm hoping during the month of March, it might be late March, it might be Easter, early April, but we'll get the final results. They then have to be subject to the initial analysis by the company before they can come to us. So we're looking at some of their earlier data. The other thing that will come late in a piece, maybe even April or later, will be the manufacturing data. Uh, The Novavax vaccine is being manufactured 
at a number of sites, and some of those manufacturing agreements are only just being struck now. So it will be uh, a couple of months behind the other vaccines, but we are actively engaging with the company. There's kind of two goals here with uh, an immunisation strategy in this unusual pandemic situation. One is, I've been talking about it as turning COVID-19 into the common cold, so essentially not making it a fatal disease anymore. And the other is, protecting us, you know, so that we can open up our international borders and the new variants. And there's a crossover there. If you take the vaccines at the moment, how equivalent are they in the way you've approved them in terms of preventing severe disease? How good are they at protecting against severe disease, particularly with the South African variant, which looks as if it's escaping the vaccine? Against the South African variant, we have clinical data for Novavax and Janssen on moderately small groups uh, showing diminished protection, but there is still protection. AstraZeneca in a group that wasn't severe disease, but was mild to moderate and also a younger cohort was not particularly efficacious. Pfizer, we don't have clinical data yet. We've got in in vitro data taken from uh, Uh, blood samples and measures of antibody and cellular immunity. So we certainly don't have a full picture of efficacy against the South African variant. We have a better picture against the UK B117 variant where they appear to be okay, a little bit less efficacious across the board, but the, the clinical rollout of both Pfizer and AstraZeneca in the UK has also been very encouraging uh, in terms of prevention of uh, uh, severe disease, especially in older age groups. There's some very recent data that hasn't been published yet, but we've had communicated from us from Public Health England and Public Health Scotland that's looking very good for both of those vaccines. Given that increasingly, um, until low-income countries are immunised, we're increasingly going to be exposed through strains returning home to new variants. And certainly the Brazilian one looks as if it's probably vaccine-resistant. The South African one we're okay at the moment with the UK one, but more variants will arise. Do you know, we don't know yet whether or not severe disease is going to be prevented by either Pfizer or Astra against these variants. And the, as you say, the Astra news is not good on mild to moderate. Given we have uh, mainly in Australia, the, uh, you know, we, we're not in Manaus, Brazil, and we're not in Johannesburg. So given that as of uh, February and into March 2021, In Australia, we predominantly have what I'll call the original strain where we do have it and also the UK B117 variant. The priority should still be on rolling out vaccinations in the way we are as quickly as we can to reduce the disease pressure from those variants. What is almost certain is is that there will be other variants coming up globally and what is also certain is but we don't yet know the potential vaccine efficacy against those variants. So what's the strategy, vaccine strategy then, for opening up the borders, which is the other promise there, um, not necessarily recently, because I think there's a bit of dose of reality in the political level, but you know, last year it's all going to be over when we get a vaccine, but it's not necessarily going to be over. We're rolling out, we've got what we've got in terms of Astra, and you and I and others will be lining up for the Astra vaccine. Surely you're going to have to pivot very, very quickly to what's called a multivalent vaccine probably this year so that we can start opening up borders. In other words, a vaccine that's designed for both the Wuhan virus and the new variants. So on the borders, you're right, but there's been various uh, moves of dates. I can still remember uh, Easter last year when people were saying, oh, look, we'll rebook you for an overseas trip in June, July 2020. Well, if only. 
But of course, uh, the dates of opening borders for overseas business or, or holiday travel have changed many times. You made the point earlier that until globally, we have uh, good immunisation coverage of low and middle, middle income countries, the risk of pressure from variants or just pressure from uh, large numbers of people who have not been vaccinated will, will continue. Now, whether that means that the opening of borders will be very targeted, that, uh, you know, it may be many years, sadly, or a few years until countries like Indonesia and Philippines may be open, whereas borders, for example, to uh, some Pacific Island countries and Singapore could open earlier. That's really a, a policy decision for government, but it obviously will be informed by vaccination rates and it will be informed by variants. What we do know, and regulators have been very active in discussing the strategy here, is firstly how to manage new multivalent vaccines and also variant-specific vaccines and potentially vaccines that are mixtures of vaccines targeted against individual variants. A lot of it will depend on the sequences that change as the variants mutate. It's likely, uh, and this is where the discussions are heading, but uh, there's not a confirmed position, it's likely that as we learn more about the correlation between the immunological response, we won't have to wait for, and, and, uh, and vaccine efficacy, we won't have to wait six, 12 months of clinical trials to prove a variant vaccine. And so I know that many of the large companies are already working on multivalent and variant vaccines, and we won't have to wait for them to do a six or 12 month period of clinical trials. It's the same way that every year when the new the flu vaccine, as you know, is nowadays composed of four main components. And in a good year, only one of them changes. It's almost unheard of them for there to be no change. In a bad year, two or three, or three out of a four change. We don't wait for those flu vaccines to go in clinical trials of 10 or 100,000 people, because frankly, it'd be October before anyone in Australia would get the flu vaccine, and that would be futility. So what we do do, of course, is look at the immunological responses to people who have been vaccinated with that vaccine to see if it mounts a good response. And uh, that means that the data can be assembled within eight weeks or so rather than six or, or eight or 12 months. And it's looking that regulators will increasingly use that sort of approach. And so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, in the Australian spring or the early summer, we already will have vaccines for certain variants or we'll have multivalent vaccines uh, available here. The delay won't be having to wait for many months of phase two and phase three clinical trials. So some light on the horizon. John Skerritt, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Norman. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. But if you want to ask us a question, go to abc.net.au slash coronacast, click ask a question and leave your comment there. Mention Coronacast so that we can find it. And of course, you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you like to. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you then.